And the Father, with His speech and His form through His Son, was giving testimony of who Jesus was so that He would come and save the world from its sin, save the world from the utter destruction that is coming upon Him. The power of a sound witness changes everything. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. In Jewish tradition, there had to be at least two witnesses for a claim to have standing. Today, David shares how Jesus had more than enough witnesses to prove His deity to the world. Turn with me to John 5.30 for part one of a message called Witnesses for the Defense. We're in John the fifth chapter and today's verses are verses 30 through 47. But before I get into these verses, you need to know the context. So let me describe the entire fifth chapter of John briefly so that you'll know what today's verses are talking about. In John 5, Jesus goes to Bethesda, which is the pool of mercy in Jerusalem, and he goes up to a man who's been lame for 38 years, and he asks him this question, do you want to get well? What a strange question. Of course he would want to get well after 38 years of being lame. Uh, But finally Jesus says to him, take up your pallet and walk. And the man does so. Well, the religious legalists of the days, the guys with the glasses on the nose and their legal pads with their pens, taking notes of who does what and breaks the law and then has to pay a penalty accordingly, they come up to Jesus and accuse him of breaking three laws. First of all, healing on the Sabbath. That was against the law. The Sabbath is a set-apart day where that should not happen. Secondly, for commanding the man to get up and take up his pallet and walk, which we did, which was working on the Sabbath for that man. And thirdly, claiming equality with the Father. He said, as the Father is working on the Sabbath, so I work on the Sabbath. Again, they were marveling at this claim to be God, to be equal with God. And it says in John 5 that they then began to persecute Jesus. They began their plan, which was culminated about a year and a half later in bringing charges against him, principally of claiming to be God. Principally, that was their anger in what Jesus claimed, and they laid in the ground all of the plans for crucifying Jesus. Now, Jesus, in response to that, didn't cower and become afraid. In fact, what he did was say, basically, last week's message, if you're concerned about my claim to be God with the idea that the Father is working in heaven and so am I working now in healing this person, um, let me give you 10 claims about my deity that will really set you on fire. If you're angry about this claim to be equal with the Father, let me tell you 10 other things which we covered last week. Let's go through them very quickly right now. Verse 19, Jesus said, the Son only does what he sees the Father doing saying that Jesus had a supernatural insight into seeing the works of the Father in heaven, a clear claim to deity. Verse 20, the Father loves the Son, and greater works you'll be able to see. Uh, So Jesus was saying, as the Father does great and mighty works, he loves the Son and has given him the power to do so as well. You'll see greater works than what I've already done, turning water to wine, uh, healing the Roman official's son, making this lame man of 38 years walk. You'll see greater things than these, like bringing Lazarus back from the dead, like my own resurrection from the dead. Another clear claim to deity. Third, verse 21, the Father raises the dead, so so too the Son raises people from the dead giving life to people in their spiritual deaths, you know, being able to forgive their sins. Only the Father can do. Jesus claimed to do that. But then at the resurrection from the dead, Jesus claimed to be able to do that as well at the end of the age. Again, a clear claim to deity. Number four, verse 22, all judgment is given to the Son. 
judgment was the sole prerogative of the Father in heaven, but Jesus claims to be able to do that as well. In fact, the Father gave him uh, the ability to judge all people. Fifth, verse 23, all honor that is given to the Father is also given to the Son. Amazingly, all honor belongs to the creator of the universe. Jesus said, I share that honor as well. A clear claim to deity. A sixth claim, verse 24, that those who hear and believe in the Son have the gift of eternal life. That Jesus gives people who believe in him the gift of eternal life, a clear claim to deity. The seventh claim, verse 25, the hour is coming when the dead will hear Jesus' voice and live. Jesus will speak to the dead and they will rise to eternal life in him, a clear claim to deity. An eighth claim, verse 26, the Father's life is given to the Son and gives life to other people through the Son. So the Son's the one that gives this eternal life to all people, a clear claim to deity. Verse 27, a ninth claim that Jesus executes all judgment as the Son of Man. He calls himself the Son of Man, an exclusive title given to Messiah. In Daniel, the seventh chapter, verse 14, Jesus claims that title himself as Son of Man, and as the Son of Man, as the Messiah, he will execute all judgment against any person who's ever lived, a clear claim to deity. And finally, number 10 in verses 28 and 29, all will appear before Jesus for the judgment. Another claim that he gives judgment to people who've lived on this planet, a clear claim to deity. So here, here's Jesus making these claims, and the people, it says in the verses that precedes the one we're getting ready to read, marveled at this. I mean, they were amazed at not just the claim to be working as the Father's working in heaven, but these 10 other claims. They were astounded. They were amazed. They just couldn't believe it. So, in light of that, Jesus continues in verse 30, today's text, John 5, verses 30 through 47. The title of today's message is Five Witnesses for the Defense. Jesus continues in his claims to be God. Verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus says in verse 30, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do it. I have perfect judgment, which means I have perfect discernment. Uh, how the Father whispers into my ear, I obey everything he tells me to do. And he says here clearly, I don't ever seek my own will. I only seek the will of the Father. And Jesus here is setting himself up as the perfect moral God-man who died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. He's clearly saying here what Paul said in Romans 8, for example, that in Jesus all the righteous requirements of the law were met, where you and I constantly disobey the moral law of God. The Ten Commandments are God's testimony. That's what the Old Testament describes his nature as, his testimony in those Ten Commandments. We constantly break them. Our hearts don't want to obey them. But here Jesus says, my heart perfectly obeys the laws of God every single day. He meets perfectly the righteous requirements of the law. You again can see the people's heads spinning as they're seeing Jesus claim here, I only want to do the will of the Father. That's my life's passion. And they know they don't. Now back to verse 31. Jesus said, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Now that's a fascinating verse because Jesus knew 
the law of God that he had given to the Jews. And he knew that in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6, that in order for any claim to be validated, there needed to be at least two witnesses. That was just written in the understanding of Jewish law. So what does Jesus do here? He says, I know that I need two witnesses at least to validate these claims, these ten claims that I just made to you. So what Jesus does here is he calls five witnesses to the defense. There is a trial motif here in the Gospel of John. Uh, Jesus makes these claims about himself. His accusers accuse him of blasphemy with these claims. In order to answer their accusations, he brings not one, not two, not three or four, but five witnesses to the stand to defend his claims. Let's look at each one of these witnesses. First of all, he calls to the defense stand John the baptizer. We see this in verses 32 through 35. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He, John the baptizer, was a burning and shining light, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. So Jesus calls John the baptizer to the stand, his cousin, six months older than he. John began his public ministry before Jesus's, and he was the last Old Testament prophet. You have Malachi, then you have 400 years of silence, then John the baptizer bursts on the scene, and he is like the Old Testament prophets in his message of repent, turn away from your sins, return to God, or his judgment is going to come upon you. And literally hundreds of, maybe thousands of people came to listen to his message. And Jesus says, here, even you Pharisees, you religious legalists sent people out to John to hear his message himself. And, and John preached powerfully and preached magnificently and started baptizing people. And then he said what John did was during that time of baptism, he pointed to me as the Messiah. He pointed to me as God in human flesh. And the time that happened was when J John the baptizer is baptizing, Jesus, again, one he must have known all of his life as his cousin, comes down into the water, and John says, I, I shouldn't baptize you, you should baptize me. He knew something unique and special about this perfect God-man. And Jesus says, no, you must, because it is an evidence of what's going to happen to me in the future. I'm going to go under the water through the cross and die to self. I'm going to come out of that water to new life, the resurrection power and the glory that God's going to give to me. This must happen. And then John turns to everybody and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, for those of you who may not know that Lamb of God was a perfect, unblemished lamb that the Jews would offer during the Passover every year. That's what Rabbi Eric Walker is going to point to this next Friday night during our Passover Seder meal. And John is making it very clear that Jesus is the fulfillment of the foreshadowing of what that 
perfect unblemished lamb represented. Jesus, the perfect unblemished God-man, is the lamb of God who will die on the cross and take away the sins of the world. Jesus here on the witness stand says to the religious legalists and all others who wanted him dead, my first witness to my defense is John the baptizer who pointed to me. And in fact, John later on told his disciples to go and follow Jesus. He even made this extraordinary claim in John 3.30 that he, Jesus, must increase. His ministry's got to grow. Mine must decrease in relationship to his. Can you imagine that? A pastor who says, go follow that guy. Leave my church. Go to that guy. He's the one who really is preaching powerfully and significantly. That's what John the baptizer did. Go follow Jesus. He is the perfect God-man. He's the Lamb of God who will die and take away the sins of of the world. That's the first witness that Jesus called to the stand. Then he continues and calls another witness to the stand in verse 36, his miracles. Listen to this. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. In other words, Jesus' testimony is greater even than John's testimony about him. Here's how he continued. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So Jesus calls the second witness to the stand. It is his miracles, his extraordinary miracles. Thus far in John, we have three recorded ones. First of all, the changing of water into wine. Secondly, the healing from a distance of 15 to 20 miles, the Roman official's son who was on the verge of death. And then thirdly, this paralytic who'd been lame for 38 years, Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. And the man got up and started walking again after 38 years longer than most people during that day even lived. And if you go to the end of John, chapter 20, verse 30, you will see that Jesus performed many other signs that aren't even listed in the Gospel of John. Now, what's that saying? That there were a lot of miracles that Jesus did that weren't recorded in John's gospel. A sign. What's the purpose of a sign? Well, you're driving down the road, returning home to Charlotte after a long time away in another city, and you see a sign that says, Charlotte, 120 miles, arrow straight ahead. And you follow that sign and keep going in that direction until you go home. What is a sign from Jesus? What is a miracle from him? It is a sign that points to his divinity. There's no one who's ever lived who's done the miracles that Jesus did. Not only the numbers, but the power of those miracles themselves. So when Jesus is validating his 10 claims that he had just made to the religious legalists, their glasses on their nose, their pens in their hands taking notes, he's saying to them, Look also at my miracles. They speak to the reality that my claims about being God are true. And then the third witness that Jesus calls is the Father himself. Verses 36b and 38. Notice at the end of verse 36, Jesus said, It's the Father who sent me. A clear claim that he was with the Father in heaven before he came to this earth. It's the first person of the Godhead, the Father, who said to the Son, go and take on human flesh and live the perfect life they can't live and die on the cross to take my wrath upon yourself and not them so that they can, by faith, through grace, have the gift of eternal life. The Father sent the Son into the world. Look at verse 37. And the Father who sent me, emphasized a second time, has himself borne witness about me 
His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. Now, here Jesus, again, is talking to the religious legalist, and he's saying, the Father sent me into the world, and you've not heard his voice validating me, but other people did. At Jesus' baptism, going back to that moment, the Father's voice boomed from heaven, and some people did hear it because they said they did. The Father's voice said, this is my son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The father validated who the son was at the baptism. And Jesus said, you you didn't hear that voice. You weren't present. But the father who's here on the witness stand, my next witness bears witness to who I really am. And Jesus then continues and says that not only have you not heard his voice, you've not seen his form. In other words, you don't know what God looks like. But he's hinting there that as I'm speaking right now, Jesus said, as God in human flesh, and as you see the revelation of who God is in human form before you, you're now hearing his voice and seeing his form. You know, dear friends, if you saw an ant that was having a bunch of water come upon it and potentially drown, and you loved that ant with all of your heart but saw the destruction that was going to come upon that ant, and you had all power and you wanted to save that ant, how would you do it? Obviously, you would become an ant. And in ant form, in ant language, you would tell that ant where that ant needed to go in order to be saved. That's what God the Father did. One God in three persons, he sent the Son into the world and he took on human form so that we could understand the message. And he spoke in human language so that we could understand the message. And he gave us this written word so that we can understand the message. And the Father with his speech and his form through his Son was giving testimony of who Jesus was so that he would come and save the world from its sin, save the world from the utter destruction that is coming upon him. And Jesus then concluded and said, you do not have his words abiding in you, for you do not believe in the one whom the Father has sent. Jesus said, if you would just believe my words and put them in your heart, you would know it's true. For those of us who love Jesus, every time we read this book, it resonates deep within us that Jesus is who he says he is. Because these words in the book abide deeply within us. They prove in our inner being that Jesus is who he said he is. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio to talk about another Davidism, where he'll share with us about taking the road less traveled. We'll be right back. What does the Bible tell us about the end times? The Bible is a book about soteriology, your salvation, redemption, and eternal life. David Chadwick has made an informative video called The End Time Prophecies. From Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, God's Word is revealing facts about the times we live in, as well as the second coming of Jesus Christ. We would love to give this video to you as a resource to equip you to help you understand the history and prophecies of the second coming found in the Old Testament. In this video, David covers the validity of Scripture, Jesus' first coming, and how we can have faith in His second coming. This video is a compelling account of the foundation of the Christian faith. To receive your free copy of this video, go to momentsofhopechurch.org listener. 
Again, go to momentsofhopechurch.org backslash listener for your free copy of this informative, educational video from David Chadwick. End Time Prophecies from David Chadwick. Get yours for free today. I'm Jen Houston, and with me today is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you for being with us today. Hi, Jen. It's great being with you as well. We have been talking through some nuggets of wisdom that you call Davidisms lately, and today we come to the Davidism that says, take the high road, the road less traveled. Can you talk with us about this one? I can, Jen. Sadly, it's one I understand all too well because Mm -hmm. it's a battle for me to do so. My guess is it is for most of our listeners right now, but it's the right thing to do. It's hard to behave obediently when an offense has happened to you. Now, note I said when an Mm -hmm. offense, not if, because in this world you will have tribulations, Jesus said in John 16, 33. We're going to have offenses happen to us. One translation in Luke 17, 1 says that very thing. To return someone's anger with gentleness is so hard Mm -hmm. to do, but we all must. We've got to. It's called taking the high road, the road less traveled. And as followers of Jesus, it's the one in obedience we choose to take knowing that Jesus has commanded us to take it. So when we're hurting, our natural human instinct is to retaliate and to seek revenge. Mm -hmm. Don't. Please don't, folks. Choose to be different. How? Take the high road. Keep your mouth shut. Don't gossip or slander. Refuse to retaliate. Love your enemy. Bless those who persecute you. All commands from Jesus. Instead, leave revenge and justice to God. Three different places in the Bible where that's stated, Jen, in Deuteronomy 32, 35, Romans 12, 19, and Hebrews 10, 25. So if God says something three times in his word with a direct command not Mm -hmm. to retaliate but leave vengeance to him, Mm -hmm. we should take that very seriously. It's repeated over and over again in the Bible. So God must think it's important. Throughout Scripture, he shows us that his vengeance is much better than our own. So when you choose to follow Jesus, people, you are choosing to travel the road less traveled. He is on the high road. It's the road he calls us to go on as well. Yes, not many folks in the world are on this road. They choose retaliation, revenge, Mm -hmm. gossip, and slander. But that means you don't have to worry about bumping into a lot of folks as you walk. (laughs) It's an easier and gentler road, just like driving down the highway when you don't have a lot of cars on the highway. You can enjoy the ride better because you don't have to worry about bumping into other cars. On this road less traveled, you don't have to worry about bumping into a lot of people because most people don't choose to walk on it. So you can enjoy the hike, enjoy the scenery, enjoy the view. And it's also the road, dear friends, that leads to eternal life. It's a narrow road, Mm -hmm. but it's the best road on which to travel. It really is, David. And as you're talking, I'm thinking of the words maturity, good leadership, wisdom. These are all traits that I see when when you have chosen to do that openly and when others in my life and when I've, those few times that I've been able to have the strength to do that, 
you're stronger for it. You are, Jen, so much stronger for it. Yeah. And, you know, I know in my own life, um, I want to retaliate when I get hurt. Sure. I, I want to seek revenge when something bad happens to me, especially if it's slander or gossip and it's not true. But you know what? Jesus has to be our shield and mm-hmm. defender. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we really have to let him fight the battle for us. And he promises to do so, but we've got to get out of his way. And one of the ways to get out of his way is to go on the way. Way, the road less traveled, the high road, and refuse to retaliate. Let Jesus be the one who defends. Also, there are a lot of people who want to lure us into that battle, and mm-hmm. we just can't go there. That's so good. Thank you so much, David. Well, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed that word because it's important for us all. If you'd like these daily Moments of Hope, go to momentsofhopechurch.org and subscribe there every morning, 7 a.m., written in form, free of charge, my gift to you to give your day a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to get your free video called The End Times. This is our gift, free for all of our Moments of Hope radio listeners. This informative teaching looks at what the Bible tells us about the end times. Just go to momentsofhopechurch.org backslash listener. Again, that's momentsofhopechurch.org backslash listener. For all of us at Moments of Hope Church, this is Jen Houston. Jen Houston.